Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. This episode features an interview between Bill Pfeiffer and Jeff Diverter, the chief technology evangelist at Rackspace Technology. Jeff and Bill dive into where the edge meets multi-cloud and all the complexities of navigating how to best manage your data based on the use case. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations, across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so that you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com slash edge for more information or click on the link in the show notes. And now please enjoy this interview between Bill Pfeiffer and Jeff Diverter, the chief technology evangelist at Rackspace Technology. So Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to start a little bit with some history. Can you tell us how you got started in technology? I'd love to. Bill, thank you for having me on the on the program here today. And yeah, technology. So growing up, you know, I'm not a young person. So growing up, my father was a it was a lifer with IBM. And when they came out with the first PCs, we had them in the house as a young child. Here was a computer. And I thought, this is fun. I could do this. But I was also sort of into music as well, sort of a side thing you didn't necessarily know. And I get up to, you know, all the way through high school, ending high school, and it's time to decide what in the heck am I going to go do? And it's, am I going to do computery things or am I going to do musicy things? This is back in the day when all computer screens were effectively green. And I thought, I can't stare at the green screen the rest of my life. Why would I do that? So I run down and go go to music school and all this stuff. I get into the technology of music, recording studios and all that sort of fun stuff. Get married, have kids and realize music is really a hard life. And I thought, remember that computer stuff? I think that could be fun. And I was working with a, a business mentor at the time, great organization, these, these older gentlemen who at the time was just gentlemen. Now they've got a bunch of great ladies in there, but they were called the Silver Foxes. And it was a bunch of retired business people who had been ridiculously successful and had decided they would mentor, in between golf games, they would mentor <laughs> young business people. And, oh, and Monty cool. Pendleton was my guy. Yeah. And so anytime I had a question, it was like, oh man, I need a new banker. And he like, here, writes on a post-it note, here's Bob's number. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll call Bob. Oh, Bob's the head of a bank somewhere. And it was, it was like that all the time. So I said, Monty, I think I'm getting out of music. I want to sell the studio. And he goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, computers. He goes, I got a customer. They need some music production for on hold and some training stuff they're doing. Maybe you can work something out. So I bartered out my MCSE back in the mid 90s and <laughs> transitioned to technology. And it's been a great run ever since. Very generic systems management stuff in the early years. We worked through the history a little bit. We hit the, we hit the 2000s, early 2000, 2003 ish. I'm, I'm working for a financial services firm in San Antonio. And, you know, they have way too many applications and way too many screens. And I thought, you know, let's find a portal service that could help with that or something that could draw it together. That was my introduction to Microsoft Share. SharePoint, and that was a long road of helping companies adopt SharePoint. It's how I got to Rackspace, actually. A few hops along the way, but came here to launch their, their SharePoint offering. And that's how I got into tech, and, and I love it. And, you know, we were we were visiting before we started here about microphones and such. And never did I think that music world would intersect with what I do here in technology. But here I am with a full studio to get to have great conversations with amazing people like yourself. Cool. And I love how you started out with, you, we might not know you're in music. For those who are listening along, you can't see the guitars on the wall behind Jeff in his studio. So you're kind of telegraphing your secrets. I am. That's a really good point. And trying to save money to buy more. 
I love it. It's kind of like a sickness. Um, sort of like microphones, as we were talking about. Yes. We all want more microphones and more stuff. More guitars. So today you are the chief technology evangelist at Rackspace. What does that mean? What does that what what do you do when you're day to day? Do you just talk to people about stuff and maybe yeah, write some of it down sometimes? You know, at its <laughs> at its most generic point, yes, it talk to people about stuff. I, you know, I get asked the question a lot, how did you what is it? How did you get into that role? And the short answer is, what is it? It's anything I make it to be. I have the wonderful (laughs) opportunity to be able Mm -hmm. to do effectively three things. I get to help Rackspace with our technology strategy. Been doing this for a better part of a quarter century now. And as far as working inside of technology. And so I have the opportunity to help Rackspace inside of the office of the CTO help with that technology strategy. Second thing, I get to talk to customers about what it is that Rackspace does and tell the Rackspace story and how we can help. And then lastly, I get to tell the world, anyone who will listen, like you, Bill, what it is that we do and and how it can help. And, you know, I'm given a lot of latitude to what it, that means on a day-to-day basis. And it's it's worked out so far. They keep paying me. They let me come back every single day. Tomorrow may be different, but today I get to do the job. And as far as how I got it, you know, it's, I, I guess I have a, an ability to tell a good story and base that on customer outcomes compiled with, you know, what it is that we do here at Rackspace. And when I, I think I mentioned whether before or after we started recording, but I started Rackspace in 2008, but I left for a little while in 2018. So I did a decade mm-hmm. here. I left for about a year and 10 months and then came back, came back in a CTO role inside of a product organization and did that for a, a good while. But the reality was, is they, they found great value in me helping tell our story here at Rackspace. And the best title for that, Chief Technology Evangelist. Woohoo. Thank you. I'm going to record that. And anytime somebody texts me something nice, it's going to go, woohoo. <laughs> so you're also the host of the Cloud Talk podcast. So if anyone's thinking, wow, he has a great voice, he should host a podcast. He does host a podcast. And you talk about Rackspace, Cloud, Data Center, Edge, a whole lot of different topics. So you, you yeah. kind of cover the gamut, which is a beautiful thing. And that keeps things moving, keeps things fresh. So where do you see the separation, the overlap, the sort of dividing line, if there even is a clear dividing line between clouds, colos like Rackspace Mm. and Edge? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. So, and I'm going to answer that one in light of my last meeting. So every quarter Rackspace goes out and we fund this research study. We ask over 1,400 IT decision makers in 10 different countries, a bunch of questions. Each one, each quarter is a different theme. And the one we just are getting the data back on right now is, it's pretty broad spectrum, but it's allowing us to then write a white paper that is really 2024 outlook based on what happened in the trends in 23, this is what we think 24 is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And there was a question in there. Of course, we asked questions about, you know, you know, what percentage of your infrastructure is in public cloud today or in 12 months? How much is in private cloud today or 12 months? And then, then edge, we asked the edge question. Mm-hmm. And and so we see, interestingly enough, edge has, in in my experience in the past, in fact, we used to, several years ago, we, we kept a quarterly sort of outlook of things and what are the buzzwords that don't mean anything. And edge at the time, mm-hmm. three, four years ago, 
didn't have a lot of teeth. But now we see significant numbers of people making the move publicly and talking about how, quote unquote, edge is a part of of their future in the next 12 months. Now we're seeing other other big trends. The the micro, macro, macro trends is, sorry, I have to do the math in my head of what the right word is. <laughs> uh, you know, are people going to public cloud or are they going to private cloud? The answer is yes. What they're not mm-hmm. doing is figuring out how to build newer, cooler data centers that they can live in. No one wants mm-hmm. to run a data center. In 2024, try to say this in 23, but especially in 2024, nobody <laughs> in their right mind has any business running their own data center. At least colo something. There are people who do this professionally and keep it safe and secure, but there are just better ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're running small rooms that, that help you get that data, get that compute as close to the customer or the user as possible. Some might call that edge. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I kind of threw two questions at you at the same time, which is a little bit unfair. Cloud versus Colo versus Edge. But Colo is how you host it. Cloud versus Edge is kind of more the locality and the type of use. And so I thought maybe I'd sort of, sort of clarify myself yeah. there so that I'm not asking you to answer, you know, apples and oranges. So... You know, we think about, we should, we should, in fact, we should add one more into there. What is, we'll call it on-premises. Then we'll talk about co-location. We'll talk about managed hosting. We'll talk about public cloud and then talk about edge. Of course, on-premises is wherever inside of this company's own building, they're putting their servers, be it a broom closet, be it a great data center. On-premises, it's on their premises. Co-location, it means they're going into an environment that is a professional building. They have to pay to be a part of. They are paying for cement on the floor. They're paying for a cage around their stuff. They're paying for internet access. They're paying for cooling. And they still have to manage all of the things inside of that cage, but the networking, the servers, the storage, all of the stuff. Then you get into managed hosting, company like Rackspace, there are others, and they are going to do all of the things that a that an edge might do, but they're also going to provide the servers. They're also going to manage that that's those servers up to usually up to about the operating system. There's usually independent services that can be consumed after that, but at a broad brush, that's managed hosting. I always define it for rack spaces. We have we have data centers, we have servers, and we have smart people, and we're for hire. <laughs> and then, yeah, of course, yep. Yeah. And those workloads tend to be single tenant, meaning you are not sharing anything other than the air in the building. And then you have public cloud, public cloud being AWS, Azure, Google as the major hyperscaler providers. You're running on shared infrastructure and you're running the opportunity to run a million different services that they would make available to you. It's one of the blessings and the curse of the hyperscaler is that it's like the the ultimate Swiss army knife. They've got it all there. You just have to figure out which pieces you need to put together in the right right environment. And then you have the extension. What happens after that? Well, that goes to edge. And that's how do you take these aspects of those workloads, regardless of where they run. And I defined it sort of earlier as geography. How do I get it closer to a customer, to a user, to the person who's who's consuming that tech? It can be oftentimes it's a microcosm or micro aspect of what's what that application actually is or the data set, but it, it's getting it closer to the to the individual. And it could be single tenant stuff. It could be multi multi-tenant stuff. It could be technology that comes from a hyperscaler. Think of AWS Outpost. Think of Azure Stack and the evolution thereof. But the point is, is it's not on-prem. It's not dedicated full stack and running inside of a somebody else's data center or in public cloud. It's other. Which kind of exposes all the messiness of it, right? There's on-prem yeah. versus off-prem. And it's not as clear as it was. It used to be, you know, you run your data center or someone runs your cloud. 
It's managed versus self-managed. It's bare metal versus a full infrastructure stack or anything in between. And it's CapEx versus OpEx versus full usage-based as a service. Yes. And you have all these different permutations. And so it's more about defining the use case and the latency and the, you know, the size footprint and things like that. And then coming up with something that'll match that, which means you have to know more about what the workload does and what characteristics you need it to meet and then pick the technology as opposed to we're all data center, we're all cloud, you know, that anything first mindset, edge first, cloud first, data center first, that's all sort of showing gaps. And it's that conversation is is kind of epitomizing it in that it's hard to pin it down to a single answer. It is. Isn't that interesting, Bill, how with all of these permutations of what's available on the infrastructure side, it's forcing IT to have more conversations on the business side to understand what the the business requirements and the required business output is or results are, the why, the how, or the why, so you can turn it into the how on the technology requirements. Right, right. Yeah, it was I, so simple before because, you know, all what did IT have to do? Well, I need a data center and I need some servers and other stuff. And are we an HP shop or are we a Dell shop? I vote Dell. And I wonder why I vote Dell. And, and the same thing holds true with a simple sort of solution or choices to be made on the networking side and on the storage side. But it was so simple and it was largely driven mm-hmm. first by technology and other by choice. And most of a lot of times, unfortunately, it was driven by or choice on cost. It was driven by cost. But now we really have to understand those business drivers to make the right technology decision. Mm-hmm. So now let me throw another layer on there, multi-cloud, which is an even more slushy term, I think. Depending on your definition, it's just you have more than one cloud functioning, or Mm -hmm. you have multiple clouds doing the same thing, or you have multiple clouds and data centers and or edges that are, I mean, the ultimate vision in a lot of cases is I'm going to have my data, I'm going to have it pre-processed really, really close. I'm going to have it stored relatively close. I'm still going to have some core functions. So you're having this like tiering of functions and you have to break apart your applications so that one application could run in multiple locations on-prem and off-prem managed and self-managed and, you know, across all those permutations. And that becomes a whole different conversation yet. What's your point of view on multi-cloud? Is that you had said a couple of years ago, Edge was not that meaningful. Is multi-cloud there now? Has it gotten past that into we can implement this? Or is it still so squishy and so custom defined? I guess that's maybe a different question than your viewpoint yeah. on. So I'm going back to asking you two questions at once. Hope you like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> there is a theme. Jeff, here's two questions. Answer them. Wee-hee. And then I just randomly say other words that don't answer either one. So my short answer is, in fact, I, I use this in, in some presentations. I'll use the line. I'll say, hey, is multi-cloud your strategy or is it your situation? And Ooh, meaning- nice. Is it your goal to have more than one cloud for whatever the business driver is? Or is it your situation because, well, you know, the marketing department likes this one and the, you know, the whatever finance department likes that one. And so we have to. Or did you, were you all in on one and you're a big M&A company doing a lot of acquisition and now you're buying companies that have other strategies than yours? So, 
you know, is, is multi, first question, is multi-cloud a thing? Is it real? 100% it is. And mm-hmm. every single company is a multi-cloud company. Because you have to then also, it, it gets down to our definitions of what is a cloud, and it's not really just AWS, Azure, Google, private cloud running on Dell, VMware, Stacks. It is, oh, I use Salesforce. Oh, I use Office 365. Oh, I use OCI for some stuff. You're multi-cloud. It's there. Now, let's start to pick that apart. Do we have more? And so at the, at the most gross level, the largest level is, do I have more than one cloud bill to pay? You're multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. But what does that actually mean? And does it mean that my application, that one applica- application A runs on cloud A and application B runs on cloud B? That's still multi-cloud. Or are we defining it where where? My my cloud my application A running in cloud A is redundant, or fails over, or at least has data flowing over to cloud B. Ooh, it's another level of multi-cloud as we might define it. Or do we get even more granular and say my cloud functions in an active-active environment across cloud A and cloud B? So, mm-hmm. my experience: every company has more than one cloud bill. Second layer down, does every company actively use more than one cloud and have application A or application B running in cloud A or cloud B? 100%. Yes, they do. Do companies use one cloud as a failover for the other? A portion of them do. Lower than 50% of them actually do. Mostly it's the first scenario of marketing loves cloud A and finance loves cloud B. Are companies taking a single application and making them redundant and fault tolerant active in an active, active environment across multiple clouds? I haven't found one yet who's doing it. Interesting. So it, it's kind of, this is a weird rat hole to dig down on an edge podcast, but you know the edge has to be tied to something. You don't, yeah. I haven't come across any company yet that just has an edge and no core. Right, you're doing something that's just no core, just another data, data center, or something like that. It, right? Yeah, it's just well, and clouds another data center, right? It's a big data center versus the edge is just tiny distributed data center. So it's all exactly. data center exactly. under the covers. It's just what what locality and what kind of software you put on top of it. Yeah. So the conversation that I've had a lot about multi cloud is like I use Gmail for my email, and mm. work uses Office three sixty five, two different clouds, and I keep my files in Dropbox and different cloud, you know, and I stream stuff from Spotify, different cloud. They don't connect. So Mm -hmm. that's multiple clouds, which I guess if you shorten it is multi-cloud. But, you know, then Gartner's definition last time, last time I heard was it was two or more clouds doing the same thing, running the same workloads. So it was Mm -hmm. the redundancy, not just integrated, but actual redundancy. Yeah, And then we get into like a FinOps conversation of we're going to decide how you can save money and push your workloads dynamically to the least cost option, which becomes whether it's active-active or an active-passive, but maybe about to become active or, you know, that mobility becomes interesting. And I think I would be surprised if as the edge develops, we don't start to see more of that type of thing because people will recognize that there's not redundancy at the edge. So what happens if your local compute goes down? Do you just stop the service? Because when things are down, things stop. Or can you push that to a regional hub or the next site over or your core data center, cloud, colo, space? You know, what's your next failover option? 
And I think then we get into defining the characteristics of the workload. If it's, you know, outside of the latency tolerances that are okay. You know, if you're, if the local computer on your autonomous vehicle fails, I don't really want it to backhaul to a cloud as a failover. I'd rather just pull over to the side and stop and wait so that I don't die. But, you know, many use cases are, I would really like it to be super fast, but if it can't be, I'd rather have it a little slow than shut down. Yeah. And I think that's where we're going to start to see multi-cloud from an edge perspective. But another one of those slushy things. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about where multi-cloud and edge intersect and where they might diverge. Yeah. So in the Gardner definition of multi-cloud, where you've got a single application distributed across two, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because it it starts to, it adds, it adds a complexity that I don't think needs to be there. It doesn't need to be there because there the the capabilities that exist all the across all the clouds today are generally comparative. In other words, you can find some performance differences and capability mm-hmm. difference across them. But I would say most companies are not mature enough as organizations to really exploit those differences. Mm-hmm. So then you get down to the FinOps portion of it that you mentioned before. And I think a lot of people see that as a, I'll call it a North Star. I want to be able to flip a switch and I move from GCP to AWS to Azure based on a couple of cents per processing hour. And I think that's the worst idea in the world because it, <laughs> it, 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 it creates a complexity that is totally unnecessary. And mm-hmm. what it does is it forces a homogeny across technology that's being used that is artificial in nature based on a financial driver. And the financial driver is solely about limiting expense as opposed to exploiting opportunity. And I'm a half glass is half full type person. I'm an optimistic person. I'm the kind of guy who's going to say, look, we should move to the cloud, not because it's going to save us money. We hope that might be the case. But because of the capabilities that exist there, it's going to throw our business out into the future so far so fast that we, we will need, you know, dump trucks to pick up the money. Obviously, I'm very optimistic, but that's a difference in <laughs> viewpoint of, hey, I want to architect something to save money. That's a ridiculous way to look at, at IT. The right way, I mean, not to say you, should, you shouldn't be conscious of cost. You should absolutely mm-hmm. ensure. In fact, I don't like thinking about things from the angle of how can I save money? What I do like on the FinOps side is how do I ensure that every dollar, every peso, every euro I'm going to spend on technology is going to drive meaningful business outcome? That's the definition of FinOps. Now, when you take and say, we're going to split across multiple clouds, or I want to be able to go to the magic flip switch and go from one cloud to the other to save a nickel. Well, now you're saying, okay, if I'm going to do that, that means I can use no cloud native. It means I can use no cloud pass. It means everything's going to be in a VM, a container at best. And I'm now limited myself to roll my own on everything. And that is a terrible place to be. I think that it that that using a container to create your own code and run that stuff in there has its place and is a component of an enterprise architecture, but shouldn't be the entire architecture. That's sort of excited in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you hit on complexity and containers, all the good C words. It's good stuff. I know. <laughs> I just saw some research recently that 60% of workloads at the edge were containerized, which I thought was fascinating. I think that's, now that we get down to start talking about, about architecture strategies, and I think that's the right strategy. But necessarily, I mean, there was a thing about Amazon video monitoring 
that they rebuilt it from containerized to monolithic and got like a 90% performance gain or something like that. Because the way the app worked, it was just monolithic. Yeah. And, you know, you would scale all of the containers simultaneously, but then there was overhead of intercontainer traffic that if you built it as one thing, now that's a corner case. And they didn't say they re-architected all of Amazon to be monolithic. No, 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 no. One thing. And so people took this one data point and said, see, monolithic is the way. Well, no. no. But, you know, it, it goes back to you need to understand your workload. And I think containers, but often serverless. I think serverless is probably going to start to take off more at the edge than other places mm -hmm. because you have such limited compute and you have such limited latency response time, but you need multiple workloads running. So how do you get yeah. that flexibility to run all that stuff? Either you over-provision your compute because you don't have cloud-type scale where you can just burst here and there whenever you feel like it, or you get super efficient and fast, process this, stop it, process this, stop it, process this, right? And start handing off between them. Yeah, Containers are closer to that. Yeah, they're, they're closer to that. They're also more they're also super portable. You know, go back to your car example. You know, if you, or just that as an example of a million things that are going to run around the world that need to talk to the mothership in some form or fashion. Well, what do they really need to say? You know, you, you, you want the car to be able to make all the decision and all the decisions it needs to make, capture all the data that it needs to make in an autonomous fashion, but in a structure mm -hmm. and in a way that it can communicate that back to the mothership at some point to provide more data or all the other things that it does. And I think containers, I love the portability of a container. I love the repeatability of the container. I love the manageability of the container as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think on the edge, given current development methodologies and architectural standards and the, just the, the broad brush business requirements, I think containers serve that really well. And they're pretty lightweight depending on what you put in them. So I'd be interested to know from a rack space perspective, right? You run colos, you have colos, mm -hmm pretty well distributed. So I would imagine that's a pretty decent proxy of edge computing for most companies. If you don't have something that's super low latency or super high bandwidth intensity or something like that. So you probably have a lot of edge type workloads as well as a lot of core type workloads running inside your colos. Yeah. So just as a point of definition, we do do, I'll call it some colo. Most of it, as per the definition I gave earlier, is managed hosting, meaning we have these data centers, we have servers and all the things that go with them and smart people to operate them. So, so we have over 30, close to 40 of them around the world. They're all connected through their own network. Customers can provision as little as a single device inside of them to racks upon racks of, of devices inside of them. And not only are they all connected to one another through what we call Rack Connect Global is our network, but that's also then connected out into the hyperscalers. And so what we found is the Rackspace network becomes this, this magnet for workloads that tend to be data centric because, you know, moving data into a public cloud is not that big of a deal from a, mm -hmm. a effort. You know, there's still some, you know, speed of light, still a thing, but in a cost, it's pretty cost effective. But getting the data out, those egress fees can be a little bit rough. They are not equal yeah. going in and coming out. So right. we find a lot of work 
workloads coming to Rackspace that are data centric, that live and breathe inside of Rackspace, but a lot of times are processed or compute or captured or run in any of those, you know, the, the data centers for the hyperscalers around the world. So that's, I don't know if you call that a micro or macro workload that's running at Rackspace, but data, we capture a lot of data projects there. Now it creates some complexity. How do you manage data sometimes separately from the application and different geographies? But you know, those egress fees can be very limiting. And sometimes that's worth the the additional complexity. And I was going to say complexity again, because you had been talking about, we don't want to move from cloud to cloud purely based on, I could save five cents yeah. to do, you know, by doing this, that's too much complexity for the gain. But then the egress fees become expensive enough that it's worth adding some complexity to host the data in a neutral place and bring the workload, the cloud style compute into it or similar, as opposed to pushing the data in and then trying to pull it back out or copying the data in and then pulling out the results and deleting something. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation of where that complexity is worth it and how it makes sense. Yeah, and to put it in a frame of reference, I mean, I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek when I say save a nickel, but if it's save a nickel mm-hmm. on a on a thousand servers, well, it starts to starts to add right. up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's real money fast. But on the data side, I've seen customers' cloud bills double, double in a month cool. because somebody cool. decided that their their application that was alive and well and happy in AWS, they thought, hey, you know, it'd be fun. Let's play with BigQuery over the weekend. But first, we have to put the data there. And all of a sudden, they get an AWS bill because somebody moved a petabyte of data over the weekend. And and that's a lot of cheddar. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, some cases, millions of dollars difference in the course of a month. People lose their jobs over those sorts of moves and high position jobs. Good heavens. Is the complexity worth it? Sometimes the complexity is worth it. But, and all of these things, you don't, none of these should be willy-nilly discussions. And it goes back to use the phrase earlier, FinOps, or word FinOps, Mm -hmm. acronym FinOps. And that really goes back to how do we, one, ensure that we're getting value out of every dollar that we're spending in our, in our technology investment. But then the other piece Mm -hmm. is part of FinOps is ensuring that you have the right people looking at what's happening in the, the G word governance shows up. And because it's all such a different world from the old world where everybody ran their own stuff. And, you know, in August and September, you did budgets for the next year and the next year shows up and IT raises their hand and runs down to finance and says, remember that line item? Can we spend it now? And they call procurement and say, "Okay, let them spend money. And then they go spend money as opposed to, you know, Bob, the developer on a Friday afternoon says, you know, it sounds like a good idea of moving our data uh, our petabyte of data to a different cloud. And that costs real money and costs jobs. The idea of starting in IT right now is just a little bit scary. You said early on that, you know, at the start, you were just doing some simple administrative stuff. And yeah, I, I started out working in a data center and, you know, built my own servers and pulled them all together and loaded everything up and connected them up. And if something failed, then I replaced it. And it ran there. If a, if a server died, then I had to buy another server. There was no, but where should the workload be? It ran in the yeah. data center. But should it be in a cloud? No, it ran in the data center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, your biggest decision, 
Somebody makes a, a big decision of what's our major hardware providers. And from there, you're just choosing models. I mean, that was that yep. was the excitement of the yeah. day. And those providers yeah. would send you gear to play with. Okay, test our stuff. See if you like it. Yeah. Try the you whatever. More compute, buy more compute. There you go. It's compute. It's not like of this speed tier with this kind of disk and this type of GPUs and moving the data cost this much and shut down dynamic. Oh, my goodness. And now you add in the edge. And it's Bill, like, can I ask you a question? I know this oh, is sure. your show, but can I ask you a question? So I'm, I was looking at some of that data earlier, and I was thinking a little deeper about a company's move to the cloud. And I mm -hmm. made a statement that I'm trying to decide if I agree with, and I think I do agree with it. And I'm curious your thoughts. A company's move to the cloud is the most risky thing they will ever do in the life of that company. Hmm. Or it poses the most potential for risk. Boy, there's a lot behind that. I know. I mean, I think there's a whole conversation. I mean, there's a whole another hour conversation, I think, to be had. Because, uh, you know, and then I, and my brain is a, a brain of analogies. And I think, you know, what, what are those three most things that any married couple will create the most stress in it? And it's having a child, it's getting a new job, and it's what? Moving. If I'm going to decide to move my data center as an organization, is it akin to that? Should I be getting therapy for that? Meaning, should I work with partners <laughs> and other people? We know the answer. But I think it's because it is the thing that poses the most risk. You're picking up the most important assets and you're moving them. Oh, see, I, I think that statement is more of a challenge, picking mm -hmm. up the most important assets and moving them, right? Data centers are different. It, clouds are big data centers. They just have really yes. nice software on top of them, right? It's yeah. someone else's data center and they made it really easy. Cool. I think that's why people are drawn to cloud. Cloud is kind of a mental shorthand for I don't want to have to worry about installing my own disks and things like that. I don't want to patch. I don't want to do those things. Yeah, you abstract away the hardware. But then moving from I own my data center, it runs on my stuff, I installed it, to I'm going to put it on this cloud provider stuff. Well, that cloud provider has built all sorts of frameworks and all sorts of canned services and things like that. And if you just pick up your stuff from your data center and put it down in the cloud, it's going to be really inefficient and really expensive. And mm -hmm. if you refactor it to that cloud, it generally can be, once you factor in the overhead of owning and upgrading and you know doing all of that hardware type stuff, it's going to be at least reasonable. And you know that, that comes back to do you move to the cloud to save money? I read something about the industrial revolution, right? When we were electrifying things, companies would run their own steam powered turbines and would run their own electrical generators and things like that. And then they went to centralized electrical generation to save yeah. money, but they didn't save money because then they got electric lights all over every room and every all their machinery became electrified and they got more machinery that was electrified because they could and they weren't constrained by having one generator or having steam powered from a central thing and then you know running those bands that that move the the axles and things like that within range of it and so they spent more on electricity but they got so much productivity that nobody cared Yes. Yes. And that's why I go back to, I hate the conversation of how do we save money in the cloud and can only be about cost. That goes back to my earlier statement. And so I, I think, yes, moving, moving to the cloud. Well, 
the decision at this point of how to structure your compute and where to mm -hmm. put it and how many places you spread it across, that becomes an ongoing architectural conversation that really basically shouldn't ever end because technology keeps changing and capabilities yeah. keep changing. And so if you decide we are going to make this choice and move everything over here, that becomes the riskiest choice because it's the wrong choice to be making, the wrong yeah. decision. It's the wrong question to ask, I guess. Yeah. Yes, I would agree with that, but as a one-time question. Yeah, a little bit of, yeah. a, of a clarification. It's the, not the fact that I've moved. It's the act of moving. It's the act of yeah. all the decisions. It's the act of the re-architecture. It's the act of the reprogramming. It's all, it's all of that lumped in. That singular mm -hmm. act of, of that move can yeah. be create the most risk for an organization in the life of that company. Yes, yes. But I would... I would argue that it's looking at it in pieces is where it makes sense and mm -hmm. where you can de-risk it, right? I have this use case. How should I handle that based on the current right. technology? That should be at the edge. We should own the compute. We have the application. It's a very simple build it, deploy it. Cool. This other thing, you know, it needs low latency. Okay. How low latency? How business critical, how cost sensitive should that be something different? And then as technology changes, you periodically have to go back and reevaluate them. But I think, you know, again, we go back to customers used to have data centers. Everything sat in the data center. Yeah. Very easy conversation. You owned the room. You filled the room. You needed more stuff. Fill the room more. But it's not an all-in-one decision anymore because yeah. there are so many different services available you know, like I need to store a whole bunch of files. Do I buy disk? Do I use Dropbox or Box or mm -hmm. Google Drive or something like that? Do I use S3 attached to my cloud stuff? How do you do that? There's a, such a wide variety of options for each and every thing yeah. that you have yeah. to make more decisions more carefully, I think. Well, and that's, isn't that the changing face of IT these days? The big decisions, the one make one or two or 10 big decisions, and then you spend the rest of your year executing on them. Those, those days have, right. have sailed and gone away. And it's, we have the blessing and the curse of effectively an infinite number of decisions that can be made at, at very big and very small ways. But we get to make mm -hmm. decisions now that, that, are, that create the right business outcomes. And that takes us right back to the beginning of the conversation. And that is IT has to be talking to the business to understand their needs and expectations for their customers so that IT can bring solutions that best serve those. So business outcomes, that leads me to another question. Okay. We got one done. Next question, two. <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll talk about slide two in the deck. That's um, right. 67 to go. So I had said previously, I think of cloud as kind of a mental shorthand of, I don't want to have to build and run my infrastructure myself. Yeah. Do customers care about the edge as a thing, as a term, as a concept, or are they just mm. looking for business outcomes and the industry calls it edge? And so that becomes a thing. That's a good question. So, and this has always been the challenge between IT and the business 
And in my earlier days in, in IT, let's take it back to you know, 2005, 2006, seven. And I was working large financial services firm and I was a domain architect working in the office of the CTO. And what drove that CTO crazy is when somebody came knocking on the door and had a technology they had been, been convinced by a vendor that they needed to have. And mm -hmm. they wanted the CTO to sign off on that thing. And he would effectively have the same conversation day after day. And that was, well, let's talk about what you're trying to do. And we can, one, make sure, look and see if there's anything we have today that will serve that without spending money mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. two, what the right solution might be. And maybe it's not the one vendor you've talked to who sold you the thing. I think that that personifies a great relationship between IT and the business. Now, times have changed since then. That's a good 20 years ago. And now I think that the business, I know that the business is much more technically literate than it used to be. They're not just responding to what a vendor says. They are active. They're, I mean, they're technologists. The people working in the business today grew up with technology. They know technology, mm -hmm. but they yep. need someone to guide them in those intricate interconnected decisions that need to be made. I mean, you talked about a bunch of them just as you were in your last bit. And that really gets into, you know, how does this impact the rest of the organization? How do, how do we secure these things? How do we get the, you know, you want this, the fast, most expedient response for your user. Do you even know what edge is? Well, let me tell you what it is because that's the right solution in this piece, but we're only going to break that part up and we're designing it this way and do the thing. They just may be coming in going, I saw AWS as the service and I want to be able to use it. Let's step back a little bit. But the key thing here is, is the R word. Let's have a relationship with the business. Let's ensure that we're working hand in hand with them and honestly taking their input because their, their technical thoughts are generally pretty good, but let's make sure that they are usually just looking at that in the context of their own world and not in the context of the enterprise. I like it. It's a lot of stuff. Let me pivot to looking forward a little bit. Ooh. What excites you about the future of, we'll limit it and say, edge computing. And you can't say mm. everything, you have to pick something. <laughs> what excites me about the future of edge computing? First of all, because it is a first-class citizen today and not a buzzword, that one gets me excited, is that it is a mm -hmm. core component of most enterprise architectures these days and a, a first-class citizen there. So that's awesome. I love that. But what gets me excited about is because it's a first-class citizen is it is creating user experiences with technology that that are improving not just businesses, but people's lives. I mean, we could, you know, we, we've, we've gone almost an hour now and haven't said the, the, the dreaded AI phrase or acronym. And because it's in, it's in every conversation and it's in every conversation mm -hmm. rightly because it's impacting every aspect of technology. But AI as it exists today predominantly is running on a bajillion servers. It is not a very green thing. And for us mm -hmm. to play with chat GPT, there's a significant investment on the backside of that. But there is so much work going on right now that is condensing these large language models down into, the, into really condensed and small form factors that I think in the next year we're going to find edge devices like our mobile phones being able to be an edge AI processing device that is able to do a whole lot of work for us while we sleep so we can wake up to a more efficient day the next day. And that is a single use case. Yeah, I, I think we see it in a lot of other areas as well. I could I could talk about a few other ones, but that's a, what I think is most exciting about edge for the future is it's a first class citizen in enterprise architecture. And they're very real use cases that are making very real 
impacts today and tomorrow. Cool. And as a technology evangelist today, what comes next for you? Where do you see yourself or where do you want, where do you wish you could go next? So I love my job. I mean, I love my job because I love technology. I love to see how it makes impacts in individual people's lives and in corporations and how that all works together. I think there's never been a better time to work inside of IT because it's, I was, I was saying this earlier today, IT used to have a part in different aspects of all businesses. Now it's a part of everything. There isn't a business process today, maybe outside of sweeping the floor if we still went back to an office, that didn't require a computer or compute and storage and networking in some fit or fashion. I mean, you can't apply for a job. You can't accept the job. You can't go through onboarding. You can't select your insurance. You can't fill out a form. There's nothing that can be done with with interactions like that, that that don't require IT. And if IT is there, then it means we can make those interactions better and, and easier. And if we're doing that in electronic fashion, then that means we have the data and we can make better decisions as organizations. So it's an amazing time to be in this environment. I'm excited to see how some, I'll call it edgy type tech, like where vision, where AR, VR is going to intersect in, in our world's you know, we saw some pretty compelling, interesting use cases when, when Apple announced earlier this year their their goggles and, you know, very much proof of concepty type stuff and, and a device that looks way too heavy to wear. But the, but the ideas right. are there and it's not something you're going to wear every day, but it, but it gets the brain thinking in ways that it didn't think before. Like we thought when iPhone Gen 1 showed up and, and the, it wasn't a great device, but the, the opportunity was, was certainly there. Right. And, and at the first one, everyone looked at it and said, it cost how much? It costs why? Why would I spend that much money? <laughs> and then we look at the new technology and say, it costs how much? Why? Because the yeah. use cases aren't there yet. yet. But when they are, it will either make sense or it won't. And it'll be a very clear and easy decision, most likely. Yeah. Nobody thinks too hard about spending 500000 1500 on their phone because it's with you every day and it does everything. Everything. You. Yeah. Compute in your pocket. Yeah, more compute than we had in those early days of our career. Isn't that the fact? Yes, for sure. And so much easier to use. I want to keep going down rat holes and we could talk for hours, but we probably shouldn't. How can people find you online and learn more about what you're up to and what you're thinking? Sure. Easiest way is go find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm uh, most most active these days. So just find Jeff Diverter. There's only one of me out there. And you know, I've got a live stream that happens every Tuesday morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, regardless of where I am in the world. All sorts of other things get posted and communicated there. And connect, of course, to the Cloud Talk podcast anywhere you find podcasts. You can find them. Fantastic. Jeff, this was so much fun. And I just really enjoyed the heck out of this conversation. Thanks so much for the time and the perspective. My pleasure. It was an honor to be invited in. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com slash edge.